Welcome back, Bulls Nation, to another episode of Nothing But Bull. I'm your host, Derek, and today we have a very special guest, the Chicago Bulls radio play-by-play announcer, the legendary Chuck Squirtsky. Chuck, how's it going? Derek, I'm feeling great. I'm pumped up. Schedule probably will be released, I would think, in a couple of weeks, and then we can rock and roll and get into the season. Great. And of course, I am joined by Justin. Justin, how's it going? Uh, it's another day in paradise uh, here at at, um, at work. So ready to get started with Chuck. And Melissa, how's it going? Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Um, very excited to have Chuck on. So thank you again for joining us. We're so excited and honored. Well, it's my pleasure. It's an honor to be with you. And uh, Justin, you're wearing bulls red. You got Melissa with the hat. And of course, Derek. Hey, it's all good. This is one <laughs> big family here. That's right. Yes, definitely a big bulls family. And I want to uh, actually start this off with some questions that other bulls fans wanted to ask you. Fire away. I'm all, I'm all set. I'm, a, I'm an open book, Derek. Okay. <laughs> All right, our first questions are from Terry. He asks, he wants to know about your days at Super CFL in, yes. in 1979. Well, we're going way back. I was only six years old at the time. Um, that's a joke. Uh, but uh, it was my first job in Chicago. I had arrived from Columbus, Ohio. And uh, you know, I was, I was overmatched. I was overwhelmed. I was going into work every day, scared to death because I didn't know whether or not I belonged, but through my faith in God, and also through the fact that, you know what, uh, if you give it your best shot at the end of the day, that's all you can ask of yourself. And so little by little, you know, things worked out to the point where I established myself but I would say this to all young people and to people in general, you got to persevere. Life is not a straight line. You're going to have some really, really good moments, high moments. You're going to have some challenges where you feel that you're trapped. But the best thing you can do is block out the noise, focus and do the best you can and develop a skill set and come to work with a great attitude and enthusiasm and selflessness. a great answer not just his question but just great advice on life in general yeah very inspiring and not just for young young people as well people our age um we're we're all on here much older than what we look you know a lot of my students uh think that are under the impression that i'm in my my 60s because i can mess around with them like that but that is uh, no true words have ever been spoken um, it takes a lot of perseverance to continue with whatever endeavor that you're on, um, especially uh, getting into the business that you're in, uh, Chuck, is very competitive. So yeah, we appreciate you know what, Justin, uh, I'll share a story with you. And in fact, actually, I'm writing a book uh, about my career. And it's based on 
a lot of things that happened along the way. And hopefully it'll inspire others uh, because I've walked in a lot of different shoes for different people, so to speak. I, I know exactly at times what they're going through when they're knocking on a hundred doors and it's no, 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 no. And yet you allow no to become a yes by saying, okay, what do I need to do to get better? And you have to take constructive criticism. But my internship, when I was interning, the news director, I went to him one day, I was 20 years old, and I said, listen to my take. And I'm a big boy. I can take criticism, even to this day, you know, whether it's about my broadcast. Hey, I bring it. You know what? If it's done in a sincere, constructive manner, I'm open. If it's somebody on Twitter or somebody on social media and they're just ripping away for the sake of ripping away and hiding behind a, a drape, so to speak, uh, because they can put anything out there, I'm not so sure about that. But when I was doing my internship, I, I presented my work to the news director. And I expected, you know, criticism. Like I said, I get it. But he came back to me and said, you know what? I think you need to go into another line of work. I don't see this happening for you. And I was crushed, absolutely crushed. I left his office and I'm telling you the truth. I left the office and went downstairs, went outside. There was a little alley near where the radio station was, where I was doing my internship at NBC radio in Cleveland. And like I wept and then I composed myself, went to work for the rest of the day. I got home and I'm not from Cleveland, but my grandparents lived outside of Cleveland. I stayed with them during the summer while I was doing this internship. And my grandmother, who was like old school from Italy, like really old school. And she sat me down and said, listen, I'm going to give you until the rest of the day to get over this. And tomorrow morning, you're going back into work. And one day you're going to prove to him that you belong. So here's, here's how God works. This is an honest to God's true story. The same guy who told me I would never make it. Okay. So now I'm doing play-by-play -play for the Raptors on television. And I was doing freelance work for WABC in New York, the number one station in New York. And I was doing freelance work because our news director of WABC happened to be my boss when I was doing the University of Michigan at WJR. He had lost his sports guy and at WABC in New York and needed just me to fill in for like a month until they hired someone. So I would go to different radio stations when we were on the road. I would show up at a radio station in Detroit, Cleveland, Milwaukee, wherever, you know, when we were on the road with the Raptors, I had to get the sportscast on the air. And they would put me in a little studio and I would write the script and it was focused on New York teams. So they got, of all stations, it's the same station that I did my internship with like 30 years before. And here I am arriving and guess who's still at the station, that news director. And, he, and I walk in and he looks at me 
and says, what are you doing here? I said, well, you know what? I'm doing freelance work for WABC in New York. I'm the TV play-by-play announcer for the Toronto Raptors. Good to see you. And I, I didn't pound the rock. I'm not like that. I'm not vindictive. But I'll tell you what, uh, that story alone, the fact that I took a no to be a yes, and I think about that story all the time because I still get rejected in certain elements of my career. But again, you know what? You got you just got to get better. And that is a true story I just shared with you. That's an amazing story. Um, so you, you didn't have that goodwill hunting moment where you were like, you held up the, the, the piece of paper and asked them, do, do you like apples? And, yeah, <laughs> and you no. said, how do you like them apples? That wasn't- well, here, Here's the thing. We're all human beings. And you know whether it's Melissa having a good day, bad day, Derek having a good day, bad day, Justin, we all have them. So when I have a bad day, do I vent? Yes. Uh, sometimes I vent to God and just say, hey, you know, what's going on? His plan's much bigger than mine, and his plan is perfect. And so that's one element. The other element is this. We are always not going to get what we want. There are certain things. For example, early in my career, I wanted to be the play-by-play announcer for the Seattle Supersonics, and I wanted to work back home. That's my home. And I did another internship in Seattle, and it looked like that they were going to make me a full-time sportscaster in Seattle, and I was thrilled. And at the last second, it did not happen because of a transitional period of time with radio rights of the Sonics being moved from one station to another, and it didn't work out for um, a budgetary reason, and I didn't get the job. And I was crushed. I was 22 years old. And, you know, looking back on it now, okay, I get it. And so, then, as it turns out, um, I actually was offered, I wasn't offered, offered the job, but they told me that if you come to Seattle to interview for the job, chances are pretty good that I'm going to get the job. But they were on their way to Oklahoma City, and I didn't want to uproot my family from Toronto to Seattle for one year, and then all of a sudden say, okay, we're moving to Oklahoma City. It wouldn't be fair to my children who were young at the time. But again, you know what? It, it, it's hard to, to not carry uh, anger. It's hard not to carry disappointment in your heart, but you got to release it because it really doesn't do any good. It really doesn't. Yeah, that's a great message. We have these conversations quite often, actually. So it's it's all about being able to just go with the flow, lead with faith. Um, yes. As you, you said, take the high road. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and and it's hard. I get it. There are times when I just you know like oh my gosh, but you got to take the high road mm-hmm. always. Yeah. Just just being resilient. If if it's one door that closes on you, you always know that there's going to be another one open. Absolutely. But being able to pivot. So that's something I think we all learn through experience and through yep. age and maturity. And, and maturity, right? That it's taking rejection in stride and being able to pivot is 
going to yes. bring you much more peace and, and success, actually, like yeah. knowing that we can't control every outcome. So right. that's like a really great story. Appreciate that. That's well, really you would, Melissa, and, and let me just say this to an add-on, and then we can move on, Derek, is that it's okay to have a sit down with your supervisor and say, okay, like, let, let's just be transparent about things. Let's get everything on the table and let's be truthful. Let's be honest. Let's, you know, just have a clear passage in my journey so we can understand each other better. It's called communication right. and not only in work, but in life. I mean, as long as you're honest with yourself and you're sincere and your intentions are pure, then, I mean, like, okay, that's, that's a really good conversation. But if you've got an agenda going in and you've got a chip on your shoulder or like, okay, somebody got a job over you. So now I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have an attitude towards the guy who got the job I wanted. You know, that, that to me is horrible because it doesn't really solve anything. In fact, it creates more of a mushroom of discontent and acrimony. And I don't want that. It's very powerful. As you said, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, solve, any, no, solve it anything doesn't. at all. It's just, uh, you're just carrying the weight of all that negative energy and that's, that's going right. to everything else you do. So absolutely. Great message. Absolutely. Uh, very great message. Um, I got to live life with positivity. Yep. And, and you know what, my, my goal, uh, uh, I, I don't do it every day, but I try and share a message with a quote on Twitter every day. And we're recording this on Monday. And I used a Michael Jordan quote. And it's really important that people understand that um, you know, everyone has a skill set. There's always somebody better than you. And I get that. There are a lot of people better than me. And there are a lot of people who have an incredible amount of talent. Uh, but one thing that I can control, other than my skill set and getting better, but I can control my attitude and I control my heart. And I control my heart for others. And that when I go into work, my sole focus is what can I do today to assist and help others? And if that means mentoring, great. If that means, hey, Chuck, you know what? I'm walking down the hall. You know, I don't have enough hands. Can you take this box to room 102? Absolutely. Little things like that. You know, they, they always say that, you know, when people talk about community, well, I talk about your home on the block and your home sits next to another home and that home sits next to another house and a house. And you want that house to be a home. There's a difference between a house and a home. Well, I want to create a home because a home should be a safe place. A home should be a harbinger of, of love and peace and joy. And so when I go into work, Hey, listen, you know what? I'm doing something I wanted to do as a kid. I wanted to broadcast NBA basketball. I'm the broadcaster for the Chicago Bulls. I mean, one of the iconic brands globally. 
So to me, I never have a bad day. And do I have a bad day? Yes. But in the big picture, you know what? Hey, you can't control yesterday. It's gone. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Let's worry about today. And I love those uh, tweets you put out all the time, those positive tweets. Like, I'm sure everybody can agree. Like, you're always putting out positive, inspiring messages. And uh, we need more of that. It's there. There are life can get pretty challenging as it is. And yep. it's not about cha changing your perspective on things and more so than the actual situation. So um, absolutely. Listen, you know, um, here's, a, here's my take on a lot of things. You know, when people say, especially in our society, you know, people say, well, I'm colorblind to everything that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love all people, I'm colorblind. Well, you know what? I take the opposite approach. I want to see color. I want to embrace the backgrounds and the culture of people because uh, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be a better person to accept. And so in our society today, I think it's really important that we listen. We don't do enough listening, you know? I mean, we all talk, 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 talk. And, you know, if I disagree with you, then you're a horrible person. And if you disagree with me, I'm a horrible. I mean, like, you know, we may not agree on things, but we also need to take a step back, listen and say, okay, like, you know, we're not on the same page with this, but I respect your opinion. Uh, as long as it's not hurtful and as long as it doesn't cross that line to a place that, you know, we shouldn't go as a society. But whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whether you're an independent, whether you're Catholic, Jewish, Islam, or no religion, whether you're gay, whether you're bi, whether you're heterosexual, let's just accept for who we are as human beings. Because at the end of the day, we all have a heart. And I'm going to share this one thing with you. Let's say, Derek, you're on the corner street and you're standing across the light. And let's say, Derek, you're a doctor, okay? And the person next to you all of a sudden goes into a seizure or collapses. Now, you're a doctor, right? I mean, you are a doctor and can help that person in a moment of need, immediate need. So do you think at that point, that person who's suffering now, maybe on the verge of death, really cares whether what color you are, what religion you are, what nationality, what anything? They don't care at that moment. What they care about is, hey, I need help. And you happen to be there to help them and vice versa. And so I'm thinking, why can't we live this world where you know what? I accept who you are. I, I embrace who you are. And so now it comes time for you to say, hey, I need help with my project at school. Or, you know, I want to really learn how to get better in this certain field. I mean, why are we judging on, on you know, our, our color of skin or our religion or, or our, our sexuality, we should say, hey, great, let's do it. What can I do to help? Hey, let's go over my tape. Let's go over my written script. What should I be doing that I'm not doing? Or do you think this works? Or 
Do I need to change the pace and flow of my play-by-play? And so I, you know, that's why we're kind of, we're mosaic, we're pieces, you know, and we all blend in. This is probably not the type of podcast you were expecting. (laughs) So I apologize. We can get back to sports. (laughs) No, it's... That, I mean, that's that's great. Everybody needs a positive message. Sometimes uh, people, you know, never know what they're going through, and this will probably help a lot of people that will hear this. So that that was great. It, I mean, it goes beyond sports. Yes, it does absolutely. But you know, what sports is a great vehicle because, like, um, especially when you win, like. <laughs> When, when, when the teams that I've called, when you're winning, it's awesome. I mean, because the chemistry is obviously there. And, you know, I've seen some teams where the chemistry on winning ball clubs isn't there. Sometimes, like in baseball, for example, you got 25 people, and that's a huge roster. And in baseball, you know, basically, if, if you're going up there to hit the ball and you go 0 for 4, but you know, three other guys get three hits. They're in their own little island, you know. If you go for four, you're probably going out to left field thinking about your last at bat and thinking, you know, gosh, I got squeezed at the plate and the umpire really, you know, or I can't believe I swung at a breaking ball when I was expecting a fastball. He takes it out to left field. The thing I love about basketball is you need five people working in unison to like pull together and fight together. And then you got a bench that when something crazy goes happen happens, they stand up and they are into it and they want to see you succeed. And I love that. It's one of my favorite things in, in basketball. I love the camaraderie and the teamwork. And there does seem to be um, a lot of that. I mean, I think the Bulls have done a, a good job of establishing that within their culture. But just watching some of the things like we learned with DeMar taking um, Patrick Williams over to the side, inviting him over to uh, those workouts so that he can help him with his game and help him yep. with his growth. How important is it for um, for the team to have um, those veterans who are taking on the, those leadership aspects that you talked about? Well, that's, that's a great question, Justin. So let me just say this. As a veteran player, You have, to me, everyone is wired differently. You know, some veteran players are just saying, hey, I'm just trying to hang on for dear life, trying to squeeze another year or two. Some veteran players, their personality is like, hey, I'll help people, but I'm kind of into my own thing. And then you have veteran players like Adamar DeRozan, who takes young players, whether in Toronto with Fred Van Fleet or in Chicago now, with Ayo Dosumu and with Patrick Williams and others, Kobe White, whatever, his door is always open. His basketball DNA in his heart, his soul is, hey, I want to help young people just like somebody helped me when I first came into the NBA. And it's a ripple effect. And it's a circle of life. And DeMar DeRozan gets it. And I think his presence, long after he's gone, will be felt with this Bulls organization for years because here's what happens. The seed has been planted and that seed has been planted now in the heart and soul of Io or Patrick Williams. And some of the things that DeMar is instilling in them 
will go into saying one day, okay, Patrick Williams, Ayo Dosumu, others are going to bring along a player now in a couple of years and say, hey, this is a workout I went through with Damar in LA. And maybe it's a ball handling skill drill. Maybe it's footwork. Whatever the case may be as an example, they're going to pass that down. One layer, one layer, one layer, one layer. And to me, it's the persona of Damar, who's been very open about helping others because he needed help himself in the area of mental wellness. And he, along with Kevin Love, were two of the first NBA players who said, hey, you know what? I get it. You know, I've got generational wealth and I'm an all-star player, but it's more than that. Don't look at me as just a jersey number. Look at me as a human being because I struggle. There are a lot of people who struggle. And if I come forward and share the fact that, yeah, you know what? The wrapping paper is coming off and, you know, I've, I'm a human being. And inside of me is somebody who's struggling, who has struggled, continues to seek, you know, help and care and concern, I think was so beneficial to so many people, especially other players in the NBA who are afraid to say, hey, you know what, I'm, I, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm dealing with some things. Because we look at players like they're invincible. You know, they're healthy and they're young and they're strong and they're zillionaires and they've got all this, all the trappings of, of professional sports with the fame coming their way. And it's okay to admit, you know what, I, 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 I got to get some help. And I think it was so beneficial for millions of people to see these players come out because at the end of the day, you know what, we, we, we're human beings and so anyway, that, that's my view on DeMar. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't really seen like a player be so embraced by the fan base so soon. I mean, he's only been here one year, but you can tell that people in Chicago and Bulls fans all over, they love DeMar DeRozan. And it's not just because of his play on the court, but as you said, he's talked about mental wellness and he's always there to help. And he just seems like this genuine guy who cares about people. And that's what, you know, people need to look up to people like that, where do you know that they care? So you see that it's okay for you to care for people. And like you said, that seed that gets planted and it just, keeps growing and growing and it can go all over the world and Absolutely. not just fan base. So, because you know what, I mean, we're to, as far as the way I was raised by my mom and dad is that we're here really on earth to serve others. And I mean, that's what I try to do in my own little way in my world. Everyone has their own thing. And so I'm not saying there's one right element to, lead so everyone can lead differently you know some people are outgoing some people are quiet and reserved they can still lead in their own way by example but you know like if 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 your goal is to serve others you're really serving yourself because it's again it's about who you are and your heart and 
I mean, we, we've all made mistakes. We're going to continue making mistakes. But at the end of the day, if, if the realization of your world is, okay, I'm here to help people like Damar with young players, you know, and, and we're not, we're only looking at one side of Damar with players. Damar probably does this with his, I, well, I know he does it with his family. He loves his family. And he probably does it with his friends or people he grew up with in Compton, California. And um, so I think it's been fabulous. I want to get uh, back to Terry's other question. Sure. He wants to know about your days as a play-by-play -play man for DePaul Hoops on the radio when the Blue yeah. Demons may have been more yeah. popular than the Bulls. Yes, they were. Um, I did DePaul for 14 years. Um, and I loved that era of basketball with Ray Meyer, then transitioning to his son, Joey Meyer, from the late 70s to, let's say, mid-90s, and where it was Mark Aguirre, Terry Cummings, Dallas Comedy, Stanley Brundy, Rod Strickland, Kevin Edwards, you know, Terrence Green. I mean, we could go right down over and over and over and over. It was a great period for DePaul basketball. And, um, you know, I love Coach Ray so much. Um, you know, people uh, saw Coach as kind of a grandfather figure uh, because he was so genuine. Um, and I saw a different side of Coach away from basketball. Um, yeah, how much he loved his family, but you know he would he would he would tell great stories. He was an, an unbelievable, uh, incredible storyteller, and so we would you know be sitting down at a coffee shop, and all of a sudden he'd bring up a story of coaching in the 1950s, or he would be telling a story about Chicago, the city of Chicago. Of like in the late 60s and and like I would just listen and yet at the end of the day he was a really good coach and Jim Molinari one of his assistants along with his son Joey at the time the two assistants put together an incredible run of players coming to Chicago to play for DePaul. Another question Okay. Uh, Marco asks, are the Bulls playing with fire by betting on the potential of Patrick Williams? Well, a lot's been said about Patrick Williams, and I think he's under the microscope, and I get it. He's the fourth overall pick. We're not talking about the 24th pick. We're not talking about the 14th pick. We're talking about the fourth overall pick. And we've seen glimpses of what Patrick can do. First and foremost, um, and this is the case really for any NBA player, but especially a young player drafted high, he's got to stay healthy because the only way we can really evaluate any talent, especially coming out of college, is can they stay healthy? Are they available to play? Okay. And if they're available to play and they're healthy, then what type of player are we looking at? And we've seen snippets here and there. But the only way we're going to be able to judge Patrick Williams is to see him play 
an extended volume of games. And so I understand the frustration of the fans. And I understand that they really want to see who this player is in terms of his, uh, I'm not concerned about his makeup. The, the kid wants to win. He is a competitor. I love him. I love the guy and everything about him. And now, like all fans, I want to see him on the floor and I want to see him put together months of games. And that's not to say I'm expecting him to play 82 games. Those days probably are kind of over in the NBA. Well, they are over in the NBA. But I'd like to see him play 75 games and see what we've got here. Because I think if he can play 70 to 77 games, 70, 75 games, then I think then we can take a step back and say, okay, you know what? We got this. So that's my view on Patrick. I'm glad you brought that out with um, him wanting to win. Uh, because I, I think what gets lost in a lot of the talk about Patrick Williams is that when he came in, he took on the, ro the role that the Bulls wanted him to play. Like when they put him out on the floor and he was often defending the best player Correct. Um, on the court at that time, which is not easy for a rookie who also didn't start when he was in college. Um, but I, I, I think that people are losing sight of his work ethic and like just um, his growth that he's shown even with snippets, because I know you talked about like we've only seen him in like limited amounts of action. But I think that a lot of people are losing sight of that fact that this is a kid that is willing to buy in to do whatever it takes to not only just get on the court, but be a positive factor on the court. Yes, I, I agree. And there's no question. I mean, he has bought in. And I mean, the, they saw enough of him at Florida State for one season with the Seminoles to say, we like his upside. His ceiling is something that we want to measure as the years go by because we think it's very high. So I would encourage Bulls fans to be patient. And I know patience isn't really a, a word in the NBA dictionary. Uh, we don't allow that to happen. We want you know, instant success. And people like to compare players like after two games uh, and so that's the next. Well, let, let's just you know, take, take our time and let Patrick Williams be Patrick Williams and nobody else. And let's see, hopefully he'll come into camp healthy and then have a great run. Let's take another question. Okay, Robert Nicholson wants to know what is it about Chicago sports fans that make them unique compared to other fan bases? Ah, uh, great question. Well, I mean, if, for example, if you ask Boston fans, New York, Philly, Detroit, uh, they will tell you we've got the best fan base in the world. Well, let me tell you what, what separates Chicago from some great cities and great sports fan base and venues chicago is you know carl sandberg said chicago is a city of broad shoulders and we've carried a lot in this city throughout the decades of football basketball baseball hockey you know major college sports and the fans 
can't get enough of it. I mean, one thing is they are there. There is no such thing as an off season anymore. Here we are talking bulls ball in mid August. Okay, we can talk Bears football on May the second. We can talk Cubs and White Sox. You know, on December the twelfth. I mean, it's great what this city is all about. And one thing is, all you have to do is go to a game at the United Center or go to Soldier Field or go to, you know, what's going on at Guarantee or Wrigley Field, and you'll see the fans are, they, they eat it, breathe it, live it. And that's what I love about Chicago. And that's what I love about the fan base here. I think it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And even when you go to a Cubs-Marlins game at Wrigley Field and see the Cubs fans, you know, watching a team that, what, 20 games or so under 500, and some of that is the charm of Wrigley Field, I get it. But some of it is saying, hey, I still believe in the Cubs. And I still believe that this, quote, unquote, rebuilt, that we're not supposed to say it's a rebuild, but it is. But, um, you know, we believe in this ball club and the direction this front office and manager will take us. The the Bulls had uh, (laughs) that going over the fan base where we were rebuilding for a couple of years and still had people showing up to the United Center. The post-Jordan era was not pretty. Let's just leave it at that. And and yet, you know, thank God for Derrick Rose, huh? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, speaking of the Jordan years, you were uh, you were calling in Chicago sports on the radio yes. on the championship run. Yes. Um, do you have like any Jordan moments that stand out to you? Well, or- yeah. You know what, Derek? I'll, I'll share a, a Jordan moment. I mean, everyone knows I, w- I covered when I was at WGM radio, I covered, you know, the first three championships. And then I left to go to the University of Michigan to do the Wolverines. I was not here in 96, 7, or 8. I was at, at uh, Michigan. But in 91, 92, 93, I covered the NBA run for the Bulls. The thing I remember, other than everyone knows on the floor, the greatness of the Bulls. And they were great. And I mean, it was unbelievable to see Jordan every night. I'll share a story with you about Jordan. I'll never forget this. And it was even before the 91 run. So this is probably about his third or fourth year in the league. And he has established himself now as the player in the league. The Bulls had not won championships. They were getting beaten in the playoffs. So it's not like they had reached that level where they are there yet. But Jordan was Jordan. And so at the old Chicago stadium, it's not like they would pull Jordan out to a press conference where it was a large room that came later. Jordan would go in, you know, take a shower, get dressed and then meet with reporters in his locker room area. And it was thick. It was deep. It was like row after row. So he always wore a suit. Okay. You never see Michael Jordan in a jumpsuit, you know, the jump man. There wasn't even a jump man back then, but you never saw him with Nike. It was always a suit and a tie. So the first layer, they ask questions. Second ring comes in. 
they ask questions. Third ring. So he's with reporters for a good 20 plus minutes a night. So I'm watching from afar and I already got my 20 second soundbite and I'm holding the microphone the whole bit. And there was a young person who was doing a class project and got a Bulls media credential. And he came in and he was nervous and he's got a notepad with a pen and he approached Jordan and his left hand holding the pad was shaking. He was so nervous. We're probably talking about a 16, 17 year old young man and he's got the pen to take notes and he introduced himself. Jordan was fabulous to him. And it would have been so easy for athletes. And I've seen, unfortunately, my share of athletes who have basically said, hey, you know what? Nice being you. Boom, out the door. Jordan stayed right with them. And I think the, the compassion and the empathy that Jordan showed saying to himself, okay, like, he's got a, you know, he introduced himself, told me what was going on. And so I need to show respect. So to me, that was a great life lesson that no matter. And again, this is something I learned as a kid, but it was reinforced that particular night, no matter the title of an individual or the position they hold, you still treat the people the same way, whether they're the president and CEO of the Chicago Bulls or an intern that gets his or her first day with the organization. To me, that's how I roll. I mean, I love Jerry Reinsdorf. I love Michael Reinsdorf. I love everyone in the organization, but there is no dichotomy between the way I treat the owner of the Chicago Bulls and the intern. And that is a fact. That is awesome. That <laughs> this, this podcast has been <laughs> full of life lessons today. And that's just great. Uh, go, I think we have one more question. Uh, Tori asks, have you ever been to Australia? Have I ever been to Australia? No, but I would <laughs> love to go. Seriously, I'd love to go to Australia. Um, you know, basketball in Australia is really, really booming. And it's getting big. Their, their league is fabulous. And we have a number of Australian players, as you know, in the NBA. And uh, Luke Longley, of course, of the Bulls played in Australia. But um, no, I have never been there. That is definitely on my list. And we have... Roderick asked, were you considered for the Bulls TV play-by-play -play when Neil Funk retired? That is probably a question you probably need to ask people above me. Um, to be candid with you, I probably was not, um, but I'm very happy on radio and I love working with Bill Wennington and I love my job. And I love the balls and love coming to work every day. So that's the best answer I can give you. I'm very happy with what I'm doing and where I'm at in my life right now. And you know, just handle uh, Bulls radio. You also do the interviews for Bulls TV. Yeah, you know, we, we COVID kind of 
created an issue where we really don't do a lot of one-on-ones anymore just because of the NBA rules and regs. I mean, the, the Bulls know if they need something, I'm, I'm there for them 24-7. But COVID kind of changed the direction, the path of what Bulls TV is now doing, presenting their digital platform. Um, who, when you were like doing the one-on-one interviews, do you have like a favorite bull that you talk to? Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this, Derek, I, I never have favorites. I, I loved, um, you know, I loved them all from the standpoint of, you know, like their generosity of time. They never big time me. You know, if a player had a bad game, um, I would know when to back off. And if a player was kind of frustrated or if a player said, you know what, I, I, I got to get out of here quickly. Can we do it another? I get that. So, you know, again, you have to think big picture here. And if I don't get a two minute interview with a player, I'm not going to go beat my head against the wall. But, um, you know, there were players like Joakim Noah was great. You know, and I mean, that whole group during that period of time with Derek and Luell and Joakim, um, you know, I love that group. I mean, that was one of my favorite windows with the Bulls. I just wish Derek had not gotten hurt because I think the Bulls definitely would have gone to the finals a couple of times, even with Miami with the big three. I think we would have kind of cracked and knocked down that wall for an appearance or two in the finals. We'll never know, of course. Um, but, I mean, Jimmy Butler, same thing. You know, Jimmy Butler, really, when he first came to Chicago, he was really reserved and quiet. He bought in as a rookie. He kept, you know, he kind of like, he didn't really play a lot as a rook. And then, you know, when we started suffering injuries in year two, especially with Lowell, Jimmy started to play. And I think he played like maybe all 82 that year. And he came out of his shell and started being the Jimmy Butler that we come to know and love now, um, who's on the cusp maybe of being in the Hall of Fame. Um, but, um, you know, to have a one interview, you know, you can have a great interview and it can go 90 seconds. You could have a bad interview and stretch it to three and a half. And then when the camera's off, you le- you're looking in the mirror and say, why did I do that? You know, I mean... Uh, where maybe a 90 second interview, you got, you know, a powerful, um, impactful soundbite that will, you know, have legs on it for, you know, a day or two with what that individual said. So, I mean, um, I, I just appreciate all the players who have spent time um, giving post-game, pre-game interviews. Chuck, you talked, uh, um, when you were talking, like your, your eyes light up all the time because you, you just have this positivity, this vibe about you. But when you were talking about that um, particular Bulls group with Dang and, and Rose and Noah, um, you spoke about them being like your, one of your favorite groups. What was it about that group that you enjoyed so much? Was it the camaraderie, the personality? What, what was it that you really um, liked? You know what, Justin, it was, it was a combination of what you just said. I mean, the skill set of Rose, I mean, at the age of 22, he was the MVP, youngest ever. I mean, so that says something unto itself. Then you have Joakim Noah, 
And remember, Joe's rookie year was a little bit rocky. And, you know, under Vinny Del Negro, we saw Joe get better. Uh, that series in a second season, the 2009 playoff series against Boston, where it went seven games and the triple overtime game in game six, where Noah swiped to the ball, stole it, went down the floor, dunked. Paul Pierce fouled out. The crowd's going crazy. I'm going crazy. And I think that was Joakim Noah's coming out game as an NBA player to be reckoned with. And when Tibbs took over, we saw a different Joakim Noah. I mean, we saw Noah that they facilitated the offense at times through the high post with Noah, especially with Rose gone. But we saw Noah as a defensive player who got after it every possession and Tibbs would not let Joakim Noah let go of the rope. And it was a beautiful thing for both. And so I, I just loved, you know, the fact that Luel Dang, every night, 37, 38 minutes, doesn't complain, shows up, gets his 16 points, eight rebounds, unbelievable defense. It was just, it was, it was an amazing group. You know, Heinrich taking charges. You, you know, we had the, you know, just the the whole group that year was awesome. Yeah, it really felt like they had a championship level team. Yeah. You know, they didn't win the championship, but they more importantly, they had a championship level mentality. And just looking up towards the team right now, how close do you feel like this team is towards having that same mentality of just like we have some talented players yeah. on our on our team but like the mentality aspect how close are they to to reaching that well yeah and and let's not forget the bench mob because the bench mob was terrific i and you know they were so terrific that they were working on one-year deals and they left because they got better contracts which is good for them bad for the bulls because i love that unit together uh, but um, you know, right now, I would say under the new regime, I, I love our tourists and I love Mark and I love just their mentality and their approach to putting a club together. And yet they also know that in front of them are some really good teams. I mean, the East is a monster. And I mean, so there is some work to do. And let me just say this about the 22-23 team. Because, you know, hopefully, number one, they're healthy. And I, I, I don't have any updates for you. I can only go based on what I hear is exactly what you hear. So it's not like I've got inside information. I don't. But, you know, hopefully Lonzo will be healthy for training camp. Hopefully everyone will be healthy. But let's say the team comes into camp or game one in mid to late October and they're healthy. You can't assume just because they were, what, 37 and 21 at the All-Star break or that they got off to a great start and, boy, these players together. Th that was last year, okay? Teams got better, and you would hope the Bulls got better, some with the additions and some just by the very nature of more experience or just showing up in an NBA uniform and stepping on the floor that you're healthy. But you can't assume anything. You go into the season now. Yesterday is over. And really, I mean, the, the Bulls made that jump. 
They made the playoffs, which is great. The crowd got into it. They love this team and they bought in. And now, okay, like what's next? And so I think for no other reason, that should bring out the best in a player saying, I know what I'm capable of doing. Now let's do it again and even more. What do you think our biggest areas of opportunities are? Um, let's take away from the fact of injuries and health. Where, what do you think our biggest opportunities lie this upcoming season based off of what we saw? I know it'd be hard to gauge since we did come across so many injuries throughout the yeah. season. But where well, do you, you know what, Melissa? Uh, I think that's a very good question. I think, Melissa, you know, when you look at the components of our team, Lonzo Ball, to me is certainly one of the key elements of where we're going with this thing because he was shooting a career high in threes, his ability to hit the open man in transition, his ability to play big guards and to become a defensive stopper was awesome. And then, you know, you had Caruso and all these pieces added up. And so I would say rim protection is something, and hopefully with the addition of Drummond to rebound and eat minutes when Vooch is out. Um, you know, I, I'm still, we talked about Patrick Williams earlier. I think he is a key, a big key to this club, because what you saw Billy Donovan having to do is he had to play small ball at the four. And Javante Green, <laughs> Javante Green plays one way, with his heart and his hustle. Um, and at 6'4", he's guarding people like five inches taller. And I'm thinking like, how do you do that? And he does it because he's a very intelligent man and he knows how to play angles. And, you know, he doesn't want that player to get to that spot on the floor because he knows if that opposing offensive player gets to that spot where he wants to go on the floor, then that means that Javante probably is going to need some help on a double team on the block or mid post. So I think all these things add up to, okay, um, you know, we got to get better, but in order to get better, we need to get better. And that's why these guys are in the lab right now working. Were, were you pleased with the offseason moves? How would you rate it? Well, here's how I would rate it. I love Terry. I think Terry is going to be like a, a terrific addition because he loves to play defense. And I think when you get a player who really, really wants to play defense, I think that helps because I just think that your mentality is, I want to come in, I want to be a difference maker right away. And if that means I'm on the defensive side, so be it. He's got an incredible motor. I think Drummond will eat minutes in the post as far as just his ability to rebound and hopefully set some picks, you know, for players. And, you know, Goran Dragic, um, even at the age of 37, is a very smart, intelligent, crafty player. And so I think the additions will help. And again, with um, Zach Levine and with DeRozan and with Vooch and then you've got you know players coming in hopefully with Lonzo and others then 
I think they should be able to obviously uh, have a very, very good year. You can say, uh, you know, Vooch gets a lot of hate. And yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's uncalled for that. Um, and now people are upset because of talks of Vooch uh, maybe talking with the Bulls about an extension during training camp. Do you think, you know, Vooch will like have a better shooting year this season? Because I think that was like the main issue that people have was he was hitting his threes. Right. Well, I think it also, you have to understand with Vooch on the floor, with the players that were on the floor with him. And um, do I think Vooch is a better shooter than 30%, 31% from threes? Yes. Um, do I think that he'll spend more time around the basket? Probably. Um, you know, I don't really get into the contract stuff. That's not my thing. That's for the front office and ownership. So I, I don't talk about that stuff. But I do love Vooch very much as a player, as a teammate, as somebody who really, really cares about, you know, uh, the whole environment of playing basketball. Uh, he's a very smart player. He's a very willing player. He's a very team-oriented guy. And he's a really, really, really good person. So um, we'll see what develops. It was kind of strange um, thinking that are, are there that many bigs in the league that are coming in that can give you 17 and 10? Correct. And that be considered a down year? Uh, I just think that there are a lot of elements that that Vooch provides to the team, more positive elements than the negative, certainly with his intelligence and with his passing and with his communication out there. Yeah. So that, that that was a it is it continues to be somewhat strange looking at the reactions that people are having with him on this team. And I guess considering what the team gave up to bring him on to the Bulls, but yep. I, I think that he's been a, a positive addition to this club. Right. And and so I think um well said, Justin. So I think um, I, I, I mean, people, <laughs> you know, there's always one guy, two guys that people always lock in and say, that guy. But you know what? Vooch isn't that guy. As you mentioned, it's hard getting 17 and 10 in a season. He's still a very, very good player in this league. I mean, he's, he's a different player than Orlando. I mean, you have to understand, he's got more talent here than he had in Orlando. This is not the Vooch of Orlando. This is the Vooch with Chicago. And I think, you know, having this opportunity now, hopefully with health, um, we'll, see, we'll see Vooch really, really excel. Talk about the fan base with how they're excited and you're excited calling the game how do you maintain that energy like when the bulls are down or if they are getting blown out well number one um i never broadcast to the scoreboard ever um you know you have to go in saying to yourself for four quarters maybe more but for four quarters to basketball whether we have one lister which could be you derek 
or Melissa or Justin, but we, regardless, we have one listener or three listeners or 30,000 listeners or 300,000 listeners. I owe it to those listeners as a broadcaster to call the integrity of the game. I mean, if, if the Bulls are down by 20, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, and I'm not going to bury anybody personally. It, it's never personal, ever. So, but if you're down by 20 and the Bulls, you know, make an outrageous play and a slam dunk, I'm not going to go crazy when you're down by 20. Um, but uh, the integrity of the game, the call of the game, all those things are important. So I, I don't believe in, in matching what the score says. I think I've got to bring energy. I, I have to bring a crisp play-by-play. And I have to present to the fans what I'm seeing on the floor. And so that's how I go into each and every game. Do I want the Bulls to win? Absolutely. Am I enthusiastic about our team? Yes. And I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not. I want the Chicago Bulls to go 82-0. and 0. Wishful thinking, no, that's not going to happen. I get it. But you understand when, where and how I'm presenting this is that I want to see my team win. But I also want to call a game where the listener knows, okay, Chuck, like the Bulls are down by 15. Why? And I'll ask Bill Winnington that question. He does a mag- magnificent job as the analyst. So I get that. Um, if the Bulls are winning by 15, we can have a lot of fun. Um, but when they're down by 15, I kind of pump the brakes and pull it back and understand, you know, where I'm not going to a slow uh, pace because I do have an obligation to a listener. But it's just that it's a different tone when um, I didn't say energy, I said tone as far as the broadcast. I never lose energy, ever. Speaking of how passionate you are and how energetic you are, um, how do you maintain that throughout the years to just aside, not aside from just a single game, you've been doing this for what, over 30 years now? How do you, how do you maintain that? How do you keep going and not plateau? Because I mean, it's, a lot of people experience fatigue after doing the same thing or similar things for a while. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty impressive that you throughout well, the years have been able to maintain that. You know what? I, number one, I love what I do. I'm going on my 25th year in the NBA and my, let's see, I did 18 years of college ball. So whatever that is, 43 years wow. of doing basketball play by play. And I approach every year like a, a canvas it's it's completely blank and the players will paint the canvas they they're the the michelangelo and the da vinci of creating a masterpiece and some seasons we've had really great years some seasons with the raptors we haven't had good years but again that's out of my control i i don't have anything to do with that i have control of the broadcast and so my enthusiasm comes from doing this and knowing that as a little boy i would take a flashlight and under the bed at night and memorize where players went to college where they played basketball 
and I would over and over and over uh, memorize to the point where my mom would quiz me on where players went to college. So I could, you know, most people <laughs> are doing other things. And here I am reading the NBA Digest and the NFL magazines and Major League Baseball, but that's how I was wired, so. So you, this was really in your blood at a very young age. Very early age, yeah. This and is something you always knew you wanted to do. I, this is what I wanted to do since I was probably five years old. Wow. And I wasn't a very good athlete, although, um, you know, I, I do think I should have made one team in, uh, I should have made the junior varsity team in high school, but I got cut. And that actually motivated me. It's not a Michael Jordan story where Jordan got cut in the seventh grade, but um, so I felt the pain there, MJ, if you're listening. Um, but uh, this is something I wanted to do as a boy, a little boy. And uh, now um, here I am many years later, still doing what I'm doing and still love it. There has been no drop off in my enthusiasm for what I do and who I am. That's great to hear. Uh, and that passion, that zeal, that energy that you have, it definitely comes across in the, in the broadcast. Um, and I know that you said that no matter what the scoreboard is, that's not going to affect what it, whatever it is that you're bringing to the table. But I have to ask, if the Bulls win more games, are we going to see more dancing? Yes. <laughs> that, well, again, you know, here's what happened with the dancing. So two years ago during COVID, we broadcast road games from the basement at the United Center. Our engineer, Rich Wyatt, who by far is the best engineer I've ever worked with. And I've worked with some outstanding engineers. Rich Wyatt took us to the next level with his setup. Big screen TVs. I mean, the equipment, it was unbelievable. I prefer to be at the game, obviously, on site for road games, but COVID prevented that. So we're doing a game. And as you know, um, the, the first year with our tourists and Mark coming in with COVID and everything going on, it was really, really hard. It was very, very difficult. And so um, our team, we struggled. And... There was one game where we won a game uh, and I just, I was, I was exhaling. My body was like being transformed into like some, some cloud of spirit. And I just started to dance because I was really <laughs> fired up and excited. I was, you know, this, this, and you know, this, and the engineer, Rich Wyatt taped it. And he goes, I'm going to put this on social media. And he could have said a zillion things to me. It went in one I didn't even hear it. I honestly, it was like, whatever. So he puts it on. And the next thing I know, we're getting like over a hundred thousand hits and it went viral. And so now when we win, I do a little dance and, you know, finish it off. So many of us look forward to those dances after when I gotta get better though. I really do have to get better. I gotta learn some new moves. Can you even improve on those dance moves? I, well, I don't know. Yes, I, I, I can improve. I must improve. But you know, the players, um, you know, the players always uh, come to me, and I'll I'll tell you a quick story. I've known Steph Curry for years, 
And I, I love the guy. He is a wonderful human being. Forget about basketball. He's just a, a very outstanding person. So I, and when we play the Warriors, we always, you know, try and talk before a game because I remember Steph and Seth when they were just kids playing uh, um, before the Raptors games because their father, Dell, played for the Raptors. And Dell would bring his kids to the arena hours before a game and they'd come on the floor, shoot, shoot, shoot. And even then you could tell that they had something going. So before our game at the United Center last year with Golden State and the Bulls, we're talking and we said goodbye and I'm walking down the hall and Steph says, hey, Chuck, one other thing. And I turned around and I said, what's that? And he goes, you're not dancing tonight. And <laughs> I said, okay, we'll see. And of course, then, you know, the Warriors had their way again with the Bulls and that was it. When you do the dance, are you just dancing or do you like have a song in your head? You know, I just dance. <laughs> um, see, we can't play music because of the licensing. And so because of that, we're prohibited to, to do that. Yeah, that's actually a good question. I, I was wondering the same thing. Like, what is playing in Chuck's head? Yeah, no, I've got a lot of things playing <laughs> in my head. But uh, yeah, you know, we just, um, I'll tell you, before a game, my rituals, I do, uh, I listen to Elton John. He has a song called I'm Still Standing. Uh -huh. And it really oh, yeah. kind of motivates me. You know? Be, and, uh, and I love, because I'm from Seattle, uh, I love Jimi Hendrix. And, um, you know, I mean, that guy was like on a different planet. And it's a shame that, you know, things materialized the way with his life, the way it happened. Um, because he was still a young man. I think he was only, what, 26, 27 years old when he passed. But, wow. So, um, I, I listen to his music, you know, along the watchtower. I mean, you can, I could go right down the list. And, uh, but those are a couple of songs that really get me going. And, but I, I'm old school. I love Motown and mm -hmm. it was a big thrill a few years ago at the United Center when I saw Stevie Wonder. And so Stevie Wonder, I'm sitting at the United Center and he's playing all new stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the, like there was a pocket, a section where they started saying like, old school, old school, old school. And so he just like started you know, going, you know, old school Stevie Wonder. And it was fantastic. I mean, what a talent. So I'm from that era where I loved like the OJs and the Four Tops and the Temps and Stevie Wonder. And we could go on and on and on. And, um, you know, it was that, that music. Oh, I could listen to that all day. So what's your like daily routine like um, on game day? Like, do you, do you have a routine? Do you wake yeah. up, eat anything specific? Do you listen to any of the music that you just mentioned? Well, I, I get up, I work out uh, because it relieves a lot of stress. Uh, I do my notes like after the game five against Milwaukee, mm -hmm. I started working on 22, 23, like immediately. 
wow. like the next day. So, um, but I, I love my prep work. And um, after that, I uh, go to shoot around. I'm not allowed in shoot around. I can't watch practice. But afterwards, I'll go grab a player, uh, talk with the coach, and then head back to the hotel. I'll have lunch, um, you know, maybe take a nap, an NBA nap to get fresh, and then get on the team bus at about maybe 4.30, 4.45. And uh, after that, call the game. And then depending on what we're doing, get back on the bus, either catch a flight back to Chicago, catch a flight and head to another city, or if it's a home game, just drive home and replay in your brain, you know, like, okay, did you call that play correctly? Did you miss something? All these things, like, because that's the way I'm wired. I'm very insecure about my own um, faculties of making sure that I called a good game. Yeah, we we had those insecurities after doing yeah. the podcast. Where, yeah. Do I want to watch this back? <laughs> Could I do something better? So, yeah. we well, you, understand you know and you improve with that, no question. But you can't beat yourself up to the point where it takes away the joy of doing this. And Derek, whether it's yourself, Melissa, Justin, you want to have some joy in doing this. This shouldn't be a labor of work. This should be a labor of love. Uh, that you're doing something that really is special to you and special to bringing out the best in your guests, which you've done. You've done a terrific job. So thank you for that. But um, so, you know, be I'm, I'm my worst critic. I'm very harsh on myself. I'm very hard on myself. And at the same time, I also need to love myself. And by that, I mean, I'm not talking about um, from an ego standpoint, self-gratification, but I'm talking about the fact that sometimes we get lost in the moment. We don't enjoy the moment. And so like, sometimes I'm looking around at when, like I did Kobe's 81 game and, you know, I mean, I'm watching a man single-handedly put 81 points on the board second to Wilt Chamberlain's 100. And around the third quarter, when it looked like where this was taking us, I during a timeout, I took my headset off. I was doing the Raptors television. And I'm looking around Staples Center. And I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. This is like a moment. And, it, and to this day, it resonates the fact that, hey, enjoy where you're at because it's not going to last forever. I definitely wanted to ask you um, just how that energy was during that 81 point game. Well, the, the 81 point game was something maybe I'll see it again because, you know, if a player gets hot and if a, if a team is still in contention in the fourth quarter, as the Lakers, you know, the Lakers, people don't understand that game. The Raptors were up by like 18, 19 points early in the third quarter. And then Kobe came away with a steal and a slam. And that changed the whole complexion of that contest because the crowd, which was kind of on snooze control, um, 
in the third quarter. I mean, it was a Sunday night game. There are no A-list celebrities there. And, uh, you know, there was no Jack Nicholson. And, you know, there were no, you know, Arsenio Hall would come to games occasionally when he was in his, you know, prime. But there was no, like, major, major movie stars or rock stars. Um, but, you know, during that game, actually, I mean, the story became Kobe Bryant. Once the Lakers started to mount a rally and then took the lead, you know, you have to keep in mind, I'm the Raptor announcer. So it's not like I could just go crazy over Kobe. At the same time, you have to pay the man his due. And when when he got 81, he took his last two free throws to give him 81 points. Lakers fouled to get him out of the game. I let the crowd tell the story. I didn't need to tell the story. I mean, I just went went down under, didn't say a word. You got to see, um, you got speaking of moments, you got to see like Derrick Rose's rookie year and Vince yep. Carter's rookie year. Yep. Like, did you, was there anything that you saw in them, their rookie years to, to, to tell you or for you to be able to forecast yeah. their growth? You know what, Melissa? When, when a player comes on the scene and makes a splash the way they did and knowing their work ethic and how badly they don't want to be good, they want to be great, they want to leave a mark, that speaks volumes about how badly they wanted this in their life and their career. They, they got better. Now with Derek... And to a certain degree with Vince, although Vince reinvented himself after a lot of nagging injuries, you know, to play 22 years, whatever it was, 22, 23. So, um, but with Derek, immediately, immediately from his first game against the Milwaukee Bucks, his rookie year, you could tell from baseline to baseline, he was a blur. And not only a blur, he wasn't just with his ball speed handling from one end of the court to the other, he could finish at the rim. And he was powerful going to the rim. And he had different ways of getting to the basket. And, you know, his body would twist and turn and the torque, I mean, where his his arms would be extended to the right, his legs would be going left in midair. And you're thinking like this, like a scissors, you know, I mean, he's just going like, what is his body? And, you know, like of, of all things for him to go to the floor when he crumpled to the court was a skip pass. And I'm not a big fan of skip passes because not a lot of good things happen when you leave your feet and you pass. That's basketball 101. Yeah. But, you know, when he went down, there was such a hush and my heart to this day, you know, because you can only wonder what is, I mean, he came back to play and he's had some good years, but, you know, we were really robbed of seeing where this could have gone with that injury. And it's really a shame. But on the other hand, you know what? He's got a beautiful family. He has generational wealth. He's got his health and he'll be able to nurture and mentor his children and, you know, Chicago still loves him. So at the end of the day, that's a pretty good life. Yeah, I, I remember how I felt when I saw him go down. I'm sure everybody yeah. in Chicago or all Bulls fans felt the same way. That was 
Yeah. It was rough, but he's always going to be Chicago's very own. Correct. He gets his uh, number retired. Yes. Well, yeah, we'll see about that. I'm, I don't know. No one's worn that number one. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when Drogic, yeah. uh, when Drogic signed, someone put Moses, <laughs> I guess, in the tongue. Yeah. And like a lot of people are calling me, did the Bulls really give number one to Goran Dragic? I can't believe it. No, 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 no. That is the internet. Okay. That's photoshopping. Chill. Okay. Pump the brakes. Yeah. I think uh, number one is kind of like unofficially yeah. retired. <laughs> yeah. No, no one's worn number one since Derek. It's like one of those unspoken things. You just, just yeah, you know, don't do that to yourself. You know, probably best left that, right. you know, it's on the shelf. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, we had the Jordan years and post-Jordan years. Yeah. And Derrick Rose really brought the Bulls fan base back. Yes. And, you know, we had some rebuilding years recently, but now with Zach and DeMar, yeah. things are looking up again. And it's now to where the Bulls have made the playoffs and the Bulls can now do things for the fans like Bulls Fest at the United Center, September 3rd, 4th. Um, Chuck, are you going to swing by there with the family? You know what? Um, Yeah, they mentioned something specifically, Derek, at this point, I'm not sure, but it'll be a great time for the fans. And, uh, you know, with three-on-three activity and just seeing, you know, people come back to the United Center and have a good time. And I'm um, looking forward to it. I really am. I think it's a great idea. Uh, I'll be there. This is be there. <laughs> awesome. We're looking forward to being at the United Center again. Great. Well, this has been fun, and I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you very thank much you for joining us. <laughs> really appreciate it. No problem. Take care and go Bulls. Go Bulls. All right. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Tennis game over. The horn blows.